Christmas. What day of the month of December is it? 25th. What is today? November the 25th. Happens to be one of my grandchildren's birthdays today. Collier Eileen Porter turned six. She came into church today beaming as you do on a birthday. But we've got one month. Christmas is here. 25th of December. This is November the 25th. Are you ready? Will you be ready? Will this Christmas be unlike any other, I guess, is the basic question. We spent all of... This fall, for the most part, talking about givers and takers, two kinds of people in this world, those who take more than they give, those who give more than they take. And that's going to be, it's going to be seen this holiday season, probably more than at any other time, because it's going to bring out the best and the worst. We want to look in this season of Christmas these next Sundays that lead us right up to the end of 2018, talking about God's purpose from the very beginning. Most of us, when we go through the the cycle of Christmas, and sometimes we just look at it that way, the Advent season, we just focus on the fact that, yes, there was a manger, there was a baby born there, there were wise men, there were shepherds, there was a star, there were Christmas carols. But we soon, too often, we forget that this story of the manger, that the coming of the Christ child, the Messiah, it had its beginnings all the way back at the beginning, the beginning of the beginnings, the beginning of time. If we're taking the book that we have, the Bible, the scriptures that tell us this story, You may think you've heard it many times before, but I beg to differ because I think that this season, as we look at it from the perspective of God pursuing us, a relentless God who is chasing after us, we seldom see him in that light, but that's who he is. So I want to invite you to join us on this, uh, uh, call it a journey, call it a pilgrimage, call it just a different glance at Christmas perhaps. Sure, we're going to enjoy some of the same things. We're going to eat the same types of food. We're going to give gifts and receive gifts. All of those things are well and good. We're going to have opportunities to worship and to serve. But we're also going to have the opportunity to see a God who pursues. And in turn, we are given the opportunity and the responsibility to pursue those who need him. And we all do. That story of pursuing us, that story of encountering that relentless God begins all the way back at the beginning of the Bible. Genesis, those opening chapters where God created the heavens and the earth and he created everything in it. And remember, God created everything out of nothing. One of the most amazing things about the God we serve is he didn't need any help in creation. He didn't have to to work with any raw materials. They all came from his own self. He had everything that he needed, and he produced what we see in creation. He did it all. And he placed man and woman there, Adam and Eve. And we see all the way back there at the very beginning... This idea that God 
created a beautiful world and people who lived in it, within it, Adam and Eve in that garden, taking care of it, were whole. They were complete. They were created complete. They didn't have to grow into it. God created everything. From the very beginning, there was beauty and wholeness. And we also know that at the very end of this story, that's yet to be told in its completeness, we do know the ending, remember. We do know that Jesus wins, that God wins. We know that in the wrapping up of all things, that same beauty and wholeness is going to be there as well. So if you bookend all of time, At the very beginning, there's beauty and wholeness because God created everything and it was good. And at the end, it's all going to be wrapped up and we're going to move into eternity in a state of beauty and wholeness and completeness. It's in between. It's in the here and now. It's ever since an event that happened in that garden that we call the fall of man, the fall of all of us. It's from that point all the way up toward the end. That's where the pursuit takes place. That's where God is at work. That's where he is chasing after us. So the beginning we know, the end we know, and the middle of all things, that's the pursuit. That's where we are. That's where we live. That's what we need to talk about. But it all begins back here in Genesis, the third chapter. I'm going to pick up midstream in verses 6 and 7 where the aftermath of a choice that was made long ago introduced brokenness into our world. It says in Genesis 3, 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loin coverings. This is in the midst of the story. This is the culmination of temptation, if you will. The story of a perfect creation, beauty and wholeness, the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, the promise, the the wonder of it all. But in the midst of it, the opportunity to turn away, the opportunity to choose a different path, that choice was made. It seems that in the following verses... That God asks some questions. Some questions that are what we would call rhetorical. You know what a rhetorical question is. It's a question that when you ask it, you already know the answer. And by the way you frame the question, the answer is there. And so as we move through the following verses, God is aware of what has happened. Yes, they have taken of the forbidden fruit. They have consumed it. And they find themselves all of a sudden feeling different about everything. That's what brokenness does. They find themselves ashamed for who they are. That's what brokenness and sin does. And this is all the way back at the beginning. 
And one of those first questions that God asks is found there in verse 9, where he says, The Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Where are you? You know, the garden in the beginning was a place of happiness and joy. But after this choice of what we would have to call sin, as it introduced brokenness into the world, it became a place of fear. It became a place of hiding. There are a couple of phrases in the upper, uh, the beginning parts of this chapter that tell us that Adam and Eve were very aware of God. They could hear him. The sound of him was throughout all of the garden. They couldn't mistake the presence of God. But yet when the choice was made, when brokenness entered the world, when sin came into the picture, when God asked the question, where are you? Adam's answer was, I heard you, and so I hid. Isn't that amazing? That with sin entering the world, all of a sudden the sound of God becomes something that you loathe, something that you fear, something that brings terror to your heart and to your mind. The God who created you, the God who placed you in this garden, the God whose sound you were always running after, the God when you heard his movements, when you heard his voice, when you sensed his presence, you were drawn to it. And now all of a sudden, where are you, Adam? Where are you, Eve? Now things have changed. You no longer view the sound of the Creator as something that draws you. It's something you want to shy away from. It's something you want to hide from. Another question. Who told you that you were naked, the Scripture says? This self-awareness all of a sudden has come upon Adam and Eve And God knows full well what's going on. God is trying to help them understand the drastic change that results from their choice. Who told you? Who gave you the information that now you hide from me? Why is it that now you're covering yourself with fig leaves because of the shame? Because who gave you this information? Once again, it's a rhetorical question. It came from the serpent, the manifestation and the power of evil, whose beginnings we'd have to spend a lifetime discussing. All we need to know for our purposes is that that temptation was there, that possibility was there. God is not going to create and love and demand love from those he created. It's always going to be a choice And our choice seems to always be to turn away. So Adam, where are you? Who told you that your status has changed? Who told you that you were naked? Who told you the embarrassment? Who told you to run away from my sound in the garden? Another question. Have you disobeyed my command? See, that's how sin enters our lives. 
It is disobedience. It is a turning away from what we know is right. It is leaving beauty and wholeness and because of a choice, thinking that it's going to make our lives better. It's a breaking of God's will and His command to us. A fourth question. What is this you have done? That's what verse 13 says. What is this? What's happened, Adam? Sin. Rebellion. Turning away. From the God who created, from the God who sound we should love, that we should be drawn to. Now, all of a sudden, things aren't the same. That's what sin does. That's what it did to Adam and Eve and all the way down through history to all of us. Because the Scripture tells us in Romans 3.23, the New Testament, that all of us have made this choice. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is where God's pursuing us, His relentless chasing after us. This is where it all began. What have you done? I don't know really how to explain the horror of sin and brokenness. I mean, I don't, I, I think we can, we can talk about it. We can illustrate it. We can come up with all kinds of analogies. The two that seem to help me more than any are as follows. There's a Roman historian named Virgil. He wrote in his history of the Roman Empire that one of the punishments they would do to a victim, to someone who had transgressed the law of the Roman Empire, was horrible, grotesque, unbelievable. For they would take this victim who was alive and breathing and tie him, bind him to a corpse, to a dead body, face to face. They would strap a dead corpse face on to a victim, to someone who had transgressed the law of the Roman Empire. And you had to bear that corpse until the inevitable. You died from the contact to the corpse, from the horror of this punishment. This is what you did when you broke the law. Folks, our sin shackles us to itself. Our sinfulness, our turning away, can't go back here and blame Adam and Eve. They did enough of that on their own. The bottom line is, when we turn away from God, and we all have done that until we understand and know and accept God's pursuing us, it's as though we're shackled to a dead body. That's what sin is. And what will happen to us eventually? We will die. We will suffer the consequences of being tied to the sin, the deadness that's in all of our lives. A second way of looking at it. You're walking down the street. You see a big, grand oak tree. There are a few of those around here. 
but you notice that it looks wrong. It, it looks... You look closer and you see that there's a vine that has inched its way up from the ground as well. It has wrapped itself around the trunk of this magnificent oak tree. It started so small. It was so insignificant at the time. It looked almost inviting. Those green little vine leaves. But over the years, it grew itself up around that trunk and it spread itself to the limbs and it looked like the the oak tree had some type of parasite attacking it, which is what a vine is. But someone along the way took note of it and did what needed to be done. And you'll notice that at the bottom, that big giant root, excuse me, the root of that vine at the bottom has been severed. Someone took an axe to it. Someone cut it off. They left everything else, but it's dead. And over time, the vine, the deadness of those branches will detach from the limbs and the trunk of that oak tree and they will pass away, they will go away, they will fall. You see, the Bible tells us that in God's pursuit of us, He has severed that vine. He has severed that sin from our lives. View it any way you want to. Is this what Jesus did for us upon the cross? Absolutely. This is how He rescued us. This is how He paid the price for us. That that sin, that choice that we made, that causes us to run and to flee from God in shame, that now... Though it's grown up all around us, it's been severed at its root. And it doesn't have to affect us anymore. We may still show the signs of it. We may still bear the consequences of some of the sinful choices that we've made. But the bottom line is, the root has been severed. The vine is dead. Thanks be to God. So this is where this pursuit took place. This is where God... Creating everything in beauty and wholeness, knowing it's going to end up in beauty and wholeness. But for the meantime, in the here and now, he's pursuing us. He's chasing after us. He's wanting us to face up, not just to our sinfulness, but to face up to his loveliness, his grace, his love for us. Chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, just down in that chapter. Listen to what it says. It says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and also take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. There's two gracious acts here, my friends. Compare verse 7 of chapter 3 that says Adam and Eve, what did they do? They took fig leaves and clothed themselves. But God, he took animal skins. And clothed them. He gave them what they needed. He robbed from his own creation in a sense. 
He took the skin of an animal that he created that was not originally intended to be used for clothing. But God saw their need. God saw what they were doing and realized that they couldn't handle this. And so God clothed them. God took the skins of his own living creation and draped it around the man and the woman. He also gave them death as a gift. You go, wait a minute, Stephen. That sounds so wrong. Well, does it? The explanation here is, the Lord said, they've taken from the tree of good and evil and taken, partaken of it. If they get a hold of the tree of life and take it, they will live forever, which means what? They will live in brokenness forever. They will live with the consequences of these choices forever. And so God banished them and instituted the fact that one day they would die and death became that gift. Strange way of looking at it. But that's how God provided for them. All along knowing that his plan would be to rescue to redeem, to send someone called Jesus, someone called his Messiah, to send his representative who would take care of this sin and death problem once and for all. But back here, God was gracious. He clothed them. He protected them. Eugene Peterson is known to many of us Maybe some not. He's a pastor, writer. He wrote over 30 books. His most well-known work is a translation of the Scripture called the Message Bible. Message Bible is a dynamic translation. His whole intention was to, to take what the Old Testament and the New Testament said and put it into slang English language is the way he would describe it. To just take it and change the words around. It's not a literal translation word for word like I hold in my hand with the New American Standard Bible. But it's dynamic. It's rewording things to make sense. And it's very good. Eugene Peterson died October the 27th of this year. Just a month ago. And at his memorial service, his son, Leif, spoke. And his son said, as part of the eulogy given for his dad, was really, in the eyes of his dad, there was only one sermon. There was only one sermon ever. He said, many of you, you just need to realize that my dad fooled you. He wrote 30 books. He translated the Bible completely and put it in everyday language that we could understand, the language of the street. But he fooled you into thinking that there were so many things to say. There was only one. There was only one sermon he ever preached. He said, I know that because he told me that years ago. And Leif said, night after night, when he would find himself as a little boy tucked into bed, his dad would come back in after the lights were out, and he would kneel at his bed, and he would whisper these words to his son. God loves you. God is on your side. 
He's coming after you. He's relentless. That's the only sermon Eugene Peterson ever preached. God loves you. God is on your side. He's coming after you. He is relentless. Say it with me. God loves you. God is on your side. He's coming after you. He's relentless. There's anything you take away from Christmas 2018. May it be seen that there really is only one message, only one sermon. And it's all we need. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to gather here, to be in your presence, to hear your voice. And Father, many of us, as we hear you, we run and hide. We try to dodge it. We try to ignore it, our brokenness. But Father, teach us that you love us. Remind us that you're pursuing us. And we pray our choices today would reflect our love and obedience for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We wrap up this service the way we do every time that we gather. When God speaks, he gives us an opportunity to respond. And so as we sing this final song of commitment, we're going to ask you to be willing to... Make the choices that God's leading you to make. Some of those choices need to be made in front of God's people, public. That's why we invite people to come forward. It's a, it's a way of nailing down a commitment. It's a way of understanding and knowing that there are no secret believers. So if you're here today and you've never asked Jesus Christ to forgive your sin, he's been pursuing you and he is relentless. He's not going to stop. If choosing Jesus is the choice you want to make, then there'll be deacons and ministers standing here to greet you, to pray for you. If you're here today and you know the Lord just hadn't told anyone, tell us. If you're here today and you never followed him in believer's baptism, let's talk about that symbol, what it means, so that you can experience it of your own choosing. If you're looking for a place to belong, a church to call your own, We're an option. We may not be the right one for you. I would urge you to find the one where you can plug in and serve. If it be us, how do you join? You come forward. That's the beginning step. But for many of us, Christmas rolls around. I mean, it's an annual thing. And many times we miss the whole point because... We don't see it for what it is, that it's God at his best, if you want to look at it that way. He is running after us. He is pursuing us. And he's using this event, this time of year, to remind us that he will never quit pursuing us. Never. It's the one thing he wants us to remember. So however that affects your life, whatever choices you need to make to align your life with God's will. Make that choice knowing that he'll honor it 
and he'll strengthen you in the days to come. That's our invitation. I hope it's clear enough. We stand together, we wait, we sing, we respond.